On today's episode of Think Forever, it's a story of courage. We'll see that a person doesn't have to be defined solely by their past, and how one brave act can leave a lasting legacy for generations to come. In the scope of eternity, our lives are just a dot on a line that extends with no end. In this podcast, I tell stories about people who believed that and lived it, so that by looking at their lives, we might better understand how to think forever. Episode 8, Lionheart. Jesus of Nazareth was dead. The earth had shaken, the sky had gone black, the temple veil had been torn in two, and God's only son was dead. Joseph squeezed his shaking hands and reminded himself again to breathe. In and out. That was the way it went. In and out. It was about all he was capable of doing at the moment, breathing and not shaking. The ornate hallway outside Pilate's audience chamber was colder than he remembered. He could feel the icy stones through his robes as he leaned against them to keep upright. In and out. In and out. The servant had said Pontius Pilate would be with him momentarily, but each moment felt like a lifetime. He closed his eyes and saw blood. A crown woven of thorns tearing the skin from Jesus' brow. Huge nails splitting the flesh of his hands and feet, a crimson river flowing from his side where a soldier had pierced him at the end. The episode of carnage and gore played over and over in Joseph's mind, and he couldn't look away. There was nowhere else to look. The governor will see you now, came the servant's voice. Joseph snapped his eyes open, shaken from the brutal days. He leaned away from the hostile stones and followed the man into the even more opulent audience hall. The cavernous room was lit with more than a dozen torches and warmed by massive hearths at either end. Fine tapestries adorned the high walls, and Roman sculptures were littered about the room as if excess were the sole measure of wealth. Joseph was no stranger to wealth or the wealthy. His father had been one of the wealthiest men in Arimathea to the north. Do you know what money is, son? His father had said. It is freedom and power. Use it wisely and you can be whoever you want to be. Those riches had afforded Joseph every opportunity education in economics, politics, and religion. Even his seat on the council was made possible with money. It had forever been his guide and his shield. 
He saved and invested his money well, just as his father had instructed, and worked his way from small urban Arimathea to Jerusalem, the very center of power in Israel. Then he had begun to build. His reputation and wealth grew until he was one of the most respected members of the Sanhedrin. His own home, though more tastefully decorated than the governor's garish mansion, was a tribute to his success. All his treasure on display for the nation to admire. And Joseph had been content, at least until he heard Jesus of Nazareth preach. Jesus had said it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, that the world and all its wealth would pass away and to store his treasure in heaven where it would never be destroyed, that a man's heart and his treasure were inextricably linked. He spoke with the very voice of God and Joseph had believed him and followed him and loved him. Pilate reclined at a table near a fireplace on the far side of the room and eyed Joseph over the top of his raised goblet of wine. And how is my favorite Pharisee today? Joseph tried for a half-smile, but only managed a grimace and a grunt. Keep moving, Joseph thought. No time for tears now. He hadn't cried when they had beaten Jesus or dragged him to his cross. He hadn't cried when Jesus breathed his last. All he knew to do was keep moving. Rough business today, said Pilate. These troublemakers find the worst time to make noise. And an earthquake with the city so full? Why can't we have just one festival in peace? A festival? That's all the Passover was to the Romans, like one of their debauched celebrations. If Joseph had better wits about him, he might have commented on the subtle difference between Jewish and Roman traditions, but today he merely squeezed his hands and reminded himself once more to breathe. Oh, come now, Joseph, Pilate continued, getting no rise from him. I didn't want to do it, you know. The Nazarene wasn't guilty of anything besides disturbing my day. But you wanted blood, and I wanted quiet. I didn't want blood, Joseph finally replied, his voice tight in his throat. Oh, didn't take you for the dissenting type. Not very diplomatic of you. Pilate's tone chastised Joseph, and the truth of the words bit into him. One did not rise to the ranks of the Sanhedrin by spreading divisiveness, and Jesus' message was divisive. It had a way of brewing discord among the people, especially those wealthy members of the council. They had seen his message as a threat to their authority and control. For this reason, Joseph had kept his love for Jesus a secret. 
He had shared his belief only with a few trusted friends, including Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin who had sought Jesus near the beginning of his preaching ministry. They had quietly communed in their faith that Jesus was the Messiah, rejoicing alone behind their walls. But neither of them had done anything to share their new beliefs, allowing their brothers to stew on the disruptive message of Jesus until their thoughts turned murderous. Joseph had opposed the council at the end, but by then the seeds of hatred had taken root in the hearts of his brothers, and his words were nothing more than a shallow tide lapping at a stony shore. Joseph thought himself a coward. Nicodemus, Joseph thought, he would have the materials by now. He raised his eyes to meet Pilate's. I've come to ask something of you, Governor. Ah, there's the politician. What do you want, man? Out with it so I can have one meal today in peace. If I have any favor with you, sir, give me the body of Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate stopped drinking his wine mid-sip and set his cup deliberately on the table. You want me to stop this execution? That would start a riot worse than the first. No, Governor, I just want his body so I can bury him before the Sabbath. Bury? He, he can't be dead already. Jesus is dead, Governor, less than an hour ago. Pilate took a long, exasperated breath, then yelled, Lucius! The slight, dark-haired servant stepped into the room before Pilate finished saying his name. What do you need, sir? He replied. Bring me Quintus, the governor ordered, annoyance growing in his voice. The servant scurried from the room without a word, shutting the door behind him. Are you playing with me, scribe? Joseph could tell the address was meant to be an insult. Romans really didn't understand his people at all. I assure you this is no trick, Governor. I simply want to honor the man. I respected him. We'll see about that, Pilate chided. I've had enough of your religious games for one day. Lucius emerged again from the hallway trailed by Quintus, an imposing centurion clad in armor, bearing a sword at his side and another tucked in his belt. He was taller than Joseph by a head and walked with the sure steps of a battle-tested soldier. Roman military commanders were not known to waste their breath. While governors might express their annoyance with sharp words and reproachful tones, Centurions tended to make their frustrations known in a more physical and permanent way. Joseph did not want to be on the wrong side of this man's frustration. Ah, Quintus, Pilate said as the daunting man strode toward the table. Joseph here wants me to give him the body of the Nazarene. He claims the execution is complete. What do you know? Jesus of Nazareth is dead, sir, Quintus replied, 
planting his feet firmly a few steps behind Joseph. I heard just a few moments ago. Pilate hid his surprise with a deep breath and wiped his mouth with a linen cloth. Thank you, Quintus. Without another word, the centurion and the servant left to resume their posts. The large chamber, now empty beside the governor and the Pharisee, grew tense with silence. Pilate sat for several moments, rubbing his fingers across his chin and gazing into the fire dancing in the hearth beside his table. With a final sigh, he rose for the first time and looked directly into Joseph's eyes. Are you sure you want to do this? They could be asking me for your head next. I'm sure, Joseph replied. I wish... He trailed off, thoughts and emotions roiling within his belly. I couldn't save the man's life, but I can honor it. Very well, Pilate said, returning to his seat. He scribbled something on a slip of parchment and closed it with his seal. Give this to the guards where the Nazarene is crucified. They will let you take the body. Joseph bowed his head in gratitude and took the parchment. But as he turned to leave the room, Pilate interjected, Whatever happens next, I won't risk another uprising defending your guilty conscience. Do you understand? I do, replied Joseph, and he shut the door behind him. Nicodemus, Joseph shouted from across the street. Did you get it? Yes, Nicodemus answered as Joseph grew closer. And lower your voice. I don't want the Romans thinking there is more trouble starting. The two friends embraced, and Nicodemus added, Everything is in the cart. What did the governor say? We may take the body, but he won't protect us if the council decides to accuse us next. So be it, Nicodemus said with a nod. The two set off toward Golgotha the hill where Jesus still hung. Nicodemus leading the donkey and small cart, Joseph picking at the edge of the parchment Pilate had given him. Neither spoke. It was not a long walk, but the thought of returning to the cruel scene made each step heavy. Still, they trudged along, despite their dread. There wasn't much time before the sunset when the Sabbath would begin. While Joseph had been speaking with Pontius Pilate, Nicodemus had been visiting spice merchants, buying as much myrrh and aloe as he could. The cart was laden with about seventy-five pounds of the spices, as well as linen cloths to wrap Jesus' body. Their cargo was a small fortune, worth more than many people would make in a lifetime, but Joseph would have given everything he owned for one more day with Jesus. It was a pittance compared to the wealth that had been the teaching of the Messiah and the only way he could think to honor a king killed as a criminal. 
They crested the hill and were stricken first by the stench of blood, now drying on Jesus' skin and in pools below his cross. His body hung limp, his weight tearing at the nails driven through his hands. A thief was hung on either side of Jesus, their legs broken, unconscious and slowly suffocating. They would be dead before nightfall. Between unnerving gasps from the thieves, Joseph could hear two Roman guards bantering. They leaned carelessly against a boulder and joked about fights and women they'd never had. Before them all were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. The mothers sat in the mud, mere inches from her son's cross, her clothes and feet and hands stained with his blood. Thin streaks crossed her cheeks where innumerable tears had fallen, but now her face was still, frozen in an expression of shock and grief as she stared at the desecrated ground. Magdalene knelt behind the mother, hands on her friend's shoulders with her head bowed as though praying. Joseph knew them because they were with Jesus many times when he had preached, but they were not acquainted. His secret admiration for the Messiah had kept him from fellowship with other followers. Keep moving, he thought again, squeezing his hands, and breathe. He approached them cautiously and kept his head low as he passed below Jesus' cross. Mary, Joseph said, My name is Joseph from Arimathea. You don't know me, but... I know your face, said the mother without lifting her eyes. You used to stand in the back of crowds and listen to my son. I... Yes, I did. Why are you here, Joseph from Arimathea? Before Joseph could articulate a response, one of the guards noticed him. You there, the guard clamored. Leave those women alone. No more gawkers today. Guard, I am Joseph of the Sanhedrin. I have a letter. Are you deaf, Jew? Be gone before I have to repeat myself. As the guard spoke, his hand absently stroked the handle of his sword. Joseph fumbled in the pocket of his robe and raised the parchment bearing Pilate's seal. This is a letter from the governor. He has given me permission to take Jesus' body. Magdalene and the mother raised their heads at this. Joseph met their questioning eyes and gave his best reassuring look. The guard sauntered forward, thumb still resting idly on the pommel of his sword. He snatched the letter, and Joseph saw the Roman's eyes widen as he recognized the seal. It took a moment for him to read the letter and regain his composure. Go on then, take the body. But I'm not touching this mess. The guard returned to his rock, but eyed them ominously. Mary, Joseph said, kneeling beside her in the deep red mud. If you will allow it, I want to bury your son.
Joseph and Nicodemus worked quickly to get Jesus' body down from the cross. They untied the ropes from his raw arms and pried loose the nails from his hands and feet. By the time they had the body in the cart, both men were covered in the blood of their Lord. Joseph led the small group silently to a garden near the hill, where he had recently purchased a new tomb cut into the rock. He had meant it to be his own, a lavish home in death to mirror the one he'd had in life, a place where he could forever be remembered in the city that had become his home, a stone monument to all he had achieved. His achievements hung like a weight around his neck as the four prepared Jesus' body for burial. All the wealth in the world would not shield him from the shame of hiding his love for the Messiah in life. At least Joseph could offer him what remained in death. They finished applying the ointments and wrapped the body just before the sun went down. Nicodemus and Magdalene went to prepare the cart, and Joseph waited just outside the tomb to give the mother a moment to say goodbye in solitude. As she left the tomb, Joseph tried to muster words of solace, but what came out was, I'm sorry, Mary. I'm sorry I didn't do more while I could. I was so afraid. I... Joseph, she said, a kind, sad smile on her face. You showed courage today when everyone else left us. My son knew the hearts of men, and I think yours is like a lion. This was a burial fit for a king. Thank you. Mary went to join the others, and Joseph started to roll a large stone in front of the entrance of the tomb. One final action before the sun set on this, the darkest of days. Action. Joseph thought as the stone settled into its final resting place. Always action, always moving. I can't keep moving. He relaxed his hands and ran them up and down the smooth surface, breathing deeply. He rested his forehead on the stone, still warm from baking in the sun. He closed his eyes and saw the scene again, the crown the nails, the river of blood. And finally, Joseph wept. Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Forever. The story was written and performed by me, Joe Mayers, and produced by Aaron Kretzman. If you're enjoying our show, we'd love it if you would subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And make sure to join us this Easter Sunday for our special season finale episode when I will be joined by Bob Shank to go behind the scenes of this story, Lionheart. Lionheart.